to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America as long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Today I have a guest student of um what exactly would you say you're studying um uh, american jewish history in the 20th century and and i'm interested in the left and cool um sweet comrade on twitter yeah um and then my first name susanna okay cool (laughs) i understand um you know that we're <laughs> this is a fucking wacko podcast, so I definitely have lots of people that come on. They're like, "My name is Q," and that's it. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how many Ukrainian nationalists you have following the pod, so I gotta <laughs> be careful with what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of cool that we have to be careful with what we do in the show. It's fucking dangerous, man. Um, although I gotta say, I still I stopped getting death threats from MAGA chuds after a while because the news goes so fast; they all forgot about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyways, um, so welcome to the show, um, and it is my understanding that you're going to tell me a little bit about a character from history who's a Yiddish anarchist. Uh, uh, yeah, his name was uh, Sholem Schwartzbard, and he was a uh, Yiddish anarchist, poet, watchmaker, Zionist, a lot going on mm. there. <laughs> One of those is not like the others. <laughs> yeah, eh, you'd be surprised. Like, it, especially when I first started learning, I was like, oh, anarchist and Zionist. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. But um, there was there were more than you think because at the time, like, identity and political, like, it, like if you have someone like Chaim Zhitlovsky, they were just, like, constantly changing their political orientation and then denouncing people who held the same view they'd held a year before <laughs> and just attacking them. Well, I don't know anyone who's ever done that before. <laughs> Things have changed in the law. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that actually kind of makes sense back when all that stuff was new. Um, and we talked about that a little bit in this interview we did with Kate, Kate Pritzker about, um, you know, how the the whole uh, Zionist project kind of is, you know, in retrospect, it's like this thing that at one point sure made sense, you know, mm-hmm. and then kind of got off the rails or whatever. But anyways, um so uh tell me tell me about this guy um Shalom Schwartzbard. Did I get that right? Well, like you can pronounce like Sh- I know Shalom? it's a, I I use Sholom um though the thing is I've never heard anyone else talk about him so really any guess is probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um in like talking about this stuff there's like French, uh Ukrainian, Russian, Yiddish things that we have to pronounce and i don't know how to pronounce any of them and i'm trying <laughs> that's okay this is a podcast for idiots so <laughs> well, we're uh we mispronounced our own bullshit here um so no worries because i'm sure no one else knows what the hell i'm sure you're in the position of authority on this subject so <laughs> tell me uh tell me about this person and why uh, he is interesting to you well Sholem schwartzbard is He's just a real cool guy, and he uh, he was uh, an assassin who was uh, 
assassinated a former, well, like the terminology for the Ukrainian government at the time is kind of weird. Like he occupied like both, he was both kind of a military dictator, uh, Simon Petliora, who he assassinated, and also the president of the directory. But this was in the late 1910s when all of that sort of was up in the air. Okay. And, but Sholem Schwartzbard was uh, born in what was the Ukraine at the time. He was a Jewish man and his, like at the time throughout his entire life, like uh, the Ukraine was just beset with pogroms, you know, uh, Cossacks and uh, people from the government usually coming in and massacring the town's Jews, raping women, t- like I- like I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like gangbusters. <laughs> well, the gang were. <laughs> 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 oh God. Whoa. <It's laughs> It's this is there is there's so much going on here, but uh, uh, Sholem was born in 1888. He's about 10 years younger than the guy he assassinated. I do know how tall he was too. He was five six, and despite his name meaning Blackbeard, he only had a mustache and some graying hair on top. Hmm. But uh, that's beside that. So he was born in the Ukraine. Um, I can go into like what. Because throughout his life, so his mother was killed, was mauled, the terminology they used was mauled while she was pregnant during a pogrom, and she died soon after delivering his second brother, uh, the second child, like his brother. Uh, Yeah, they, for uh, the book that I'm drawing a lot of this from is Pogromchik, the assassination of Simon Petlora, the complete authoritative story of the Ukrainian <laughs> pogroms of 1919, their architect and their avenger. Wow. By <laughs> Saul S. Friedman, because Saul in this book just goes off. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But, oh God. So, throughout his whole life, and in, I... Uh, not thinking of the name of the village, but uh, he lived in Balta for a, a long time, but his mother died from the injuries from when she was mauled. And, like, he, it's, uh, it is interesting that Saul Friedman doesn't go into detail because otherwise within the book he recounts the, like, rapes and murders and torture in just graphic detail for the 1960s. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so for that that's one thing. And then... Throughout his life, he went on to like kind of be. Uh, he became an apprentice to a watchmaker. Um, he kind of he was involved, but he kind of just like moved around. And politically, he uh, was aligned with like anarchists to the point where he actually did meet and know Nestor Machno in uh, the the daddy of anarcho syndicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah his life though was just constantly touched by pogroms and the situation for Jews in this area was just always kind of nightmarish because like say um, the Russians want to conscript the Imperial Russians want to conscript you into your army Um, if you're a Gentile they would have taken you at 18 if you're Jewish they took them as young as 12 but often even younger and they'd be conscripted for 31 years and usually forced to convert yeah 
and that was just kind of like just not great times for anyone right (laughs) (laughs) but no and eventually the pogroms really hit their apex in the 1910s like the estimates in the mid-range i would say would be like a hundred thousand and in individual villages it would just be like complete decimation Mm -hmm. and he uh, according to like one of the estimates in the book he lost 30 family members to the pogroms including his father his uncle adel his cousins just everyone he knew in his life and cared about okay cool so this is the beginning of like a revenge this is his origin yeah i like it (laughs) And he is known as an Avenger by mo- that's what he was called contemporaneously and called now. Cool, yeah. So this is like the the first two acts of Old Boy or something like that. <laughs> it's remarkably similar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. He did a lot of stuff. He tried to form a defense league in his own town, which was notable because. Most of the Jewish men in, like, the town in his area, they did not want to participate because they were, you know, it's, I almost say, kind of learned, I don't know, they just, it was a kind of a hopeless situation, so they're just, like, trying to live through it. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're not, like, you know, brave or whatever, it's just, you know, when your life is beset by that, you know, it's going to affect you. Yeah. But, and... He was like had diff- like different varying levels of success with that. Um, eventually, he went to join the French Foreign Legion in 1914 and fought briefly in the war and got injured and then just co- kind of convalesced and had a, a pretty chill time, like the only chill time in his life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he got very injured, though. He married a woman named Anna, who was just also from Ukraine. There's not a lot about her, though she seems to have been a very understanding woman. <laughs> um, yeah, and he actually went back to uh, Ukraine and Russia because with the coming of the 1917 and all of the revolution he was extremely excited so he went back there and kind of took part but then got depressed again and went back to france and became a citizen (laughs) and and had his own little watch shop (laughs) this is the watchmaker part yeah i i've never seen anything saying if he was like a particularly good watchmaker (laughs) but he learned how to make them eventually which was notable because his apprentice like the his master and his what and his wife didn't teach him for like the first six months he was there and he was like please i please have me do something (laughs) but uh yeah and meanwhile there is simon petliora or petlora depending on who, how you want to call it, and he was a Ukrainian nationalist, uh, nationalist, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a military dictator. And he was the presiding, like he presided over the Ukrainian army and kind of made them a more formidable force during the time of the major pogroms. Which uh, he was even quoted on the time, like. Because uh, he's like, I don't necessarily encourage the pogroms, but they're good for army morale, so I'm not going to stop them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting take. 
Yeah, it, it's actually kind of hilarious these days because there's still an on uh, for 90 years. There's been a battle between uh, Ukrainian nationalists who try to say, actually, he loved Jews. He worked with two of them and wasn't disgusted at all. <laughs> <laughs> and there was even this one guy, uh, Jabotinsky, I believe, who had been quoted as saying like something like, oh, you know, I don't know if he was that connected. And then he had to take it back. But people to this day still quote him. So he couldn't. It just wasn't effective. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the thing is, so Simon Petlura, he was eventually like Poland kind of took over Ukraine at that time in the late 1910s. And he rose up. Uh, he was they he's they're kind of interesting because uh, if you read this book in particular, they're both presented as kind of like parallel radicals in their own way. <laughs> but uh mm. Pelora's radicalism is a little different. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but eventually he had to flee Poland because uh, apparently the Polish government, everyone got sick of him and they sent a, f a noted femme fatale to try to murder him. Petlora or Schwartzbard? Uh, Petlora. Oh, this, okay. Yeah, they Petlora. No one, no one cared that much about Schwartzbard. <laughs> okay, okay, I see. But Petlora was in like. Um, he was in Poland at the time because Ukraine was kind of a lost cause and it was like during the and eventually he made his way to Paris though to escape from the rising th uh, red wave <laughs> <laughs> that was sweeping through the country. Wait, so just back up a second. They sent a femme fatale after him? Yeah, and they don't nothing in there in the book or anything I've read has expanded upon it, so oh, it just makes it sucks. sound like a, like a job that they have. <laughs> that sounds so cool. <laughs> it, it's, it sounds like good work if you can get it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a wife and daughter at the time, too, and it, though it is still funny because like the way it's presented as him leaving is just like it's like the femme fatale is sent and the murder attempt is made and he's like oh damn I better leave <laughs> I guess they don't want me here <laughs> but yeah. yeah eventually he made his way to Paris where there were there was like a Ukrainian expatriate community that he was pretty actively involved with and at the time there was kind of like uh, a propaganda effort being like, uh, you know, Parisians, be sympathetic to the white Russians who have fled, you know, the the Red Army. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, Sholem was sort of, he was briefly in the Red Army, but only in like a kind of quasi way, which did come up later in the trial when they were trying to uh, condemn him. <laughs> <laughs> But this is where we, we get to the really fun part of the story because it's just like a comedy of errors of Sholem Schwartzbard realizing who Simon Petliora was and then just making it his mission to fucking waste him. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> this is such a cool story. It makes it makes me happy beyond belief. <laughs> um, so the thing is... Uh, Simon Petlura, he was talked about in connection with the pogroms, and Sholem was part of his own community and had friends in Paris, and he had, surprise, surprise, he had a chip on his shoulder about the pogroms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the thing is, though, he would talk with his friends, and it b became kind of apparent that he had a growing obsession then with Simon Petliura once he realized, oh, he was in charge of the of the government, in charge of the people who led the pogroms. He, when 
when Jews pleaded with Petlura to stop the pogroms, he did nothing. And so he he became like the singular focus, even though there were, um, of course, you know, other people who were responsible for the pogroms, they uh, never faced any retribution or any justice for what they had done. And that was particularly notable in Ukraine. No one who committed these acts was ever punished. Mm. And like such acts would be like in one village, they threw... Uh, a dozen Jews down a well and left them to die. They would stab young children in front of... They would torture children in front of their parents and then murder the parents afterwards so that they would have to watch. Uh, there, w- there were mass gang rapes. It was just hell on earth. And so, surprise, surprise, Shalom's quite mad about this. Yeah, hell yeah. A- and he gets a... He actually takes a picture out of an encyclopedia he has of Simon Petliora and just puts it up on the wall. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> throwing that la- darts and shit at it. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, um, he then even layered by, like, he was worried because he's like, oh, am I going to know what this guy looks like? But then the newspaper was very helpful and published a more recent photo of him looking dignified and older, <laughs> you know, grizzled from his year's war. And so he took the larger picture and then kept that on himself. And he le- I think he might have just left the picture on the wall. We can't be sure. <laughs> but then this just gets us to the part of where for weeks, Sholem Schwartzbard with a uh, gun and a picture just wandered around Paris <laughs> asking people, are you Simon Petler? <laughs> oh my God, that rules. And he found him several times. <laughs> and one of the times uh, it was at a Ukrainian expatriate event and Nestor Machno had to physically restrain him from attacking him. <laughs> And the thing is, like, Simon Petliura was 5'7", which is, it's kind of funny how the Saul Friedman talks about it, because he's just sort of dunking on him for being 5'7", but then when he mentions that Sholem was 5'6", he's like this little man who never, you know, who shouldn't have been able to do this great <laughs> act. Another than an, an inch, inch apart. <laughs> it's, it's just like the difference between being 5'11 and 6 feet. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I love it. But I do like him as a like a, a vengeful, angry short man with a mustache who's just fuming and balling up his fists and shit. <laughs> he was uh, our first short king, really. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was Jabuki. Um, but yeah, he went around several times. He found he found him, but he was kind of nervous because he was like, "Oh, well, he's with his family right now. I don't want to kill him while he's next to his wife and baby," because he'd had a new baby too, which was is pretty. It it, it comes up later when, during the trial, but eventually he did find him alone on the street, and he went up with him with the picture in hand and said, "Are you Simon Petliora?" And Simon Petliora. Uh, just immediately raised his cane to try to hit him and Sholem to his own testimony said that he shot him five times and then kept unloading the the gun on the ground and shot him two more while he was on the <laughs> ground and then the, his last words were just kind of shrieking <laughs> <laughs> oh my god with the old timey gun that it takes forever to reload and shit and there's people watching it was a crowded place in the middle of the day he did not care he even left a letter he he put a letter in the post office to his wife and just be like know this i acted alone i did this because the other recurring the recurring theme is just sholem schwartzbard he was like 
he was just always very proud of the fact that he did this and was always like a hundred percent like yes i did this i planned it for a long time and just never stopped talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is uh definitely important as we get into the next part of the story right well it even even because he was apprehended like he didn't try to struggle he just kind of went along with the police and they protected him from the mob because the mob was like oh this man just killed a guy <laughs> <laughs> and they took him to the pri- the prison and he was a little bit sad because he wasn't sure he'd killed the right guy because you know Simon didn't have a chance to confirm <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he was at the jailhouse wait, 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 sorry I need to stop yeah. there he wasn't sure he killed the right guy because he walked up on him and was like are you Simon and then he just shot him anyway well the thing is Simon all he did was just raise his cane to, <laughs> as if he was going to hit him and Sholem oh. was just like I guess I'll take that okay, <laughs> that's when he pulled out the taxi driver gun but also anyone could like anyone like who goes up and asks you if you are someone with a gun it would be understandable probably not to answer <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's that's interesting. But he did indeed get Simon. Yeah, and also the one other thing is like Simon's friends did like constantly talk about how obviously Jewish Sholem was, so maybe Simon was also worried about that. <laughs> 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 oh my God, it's it's so good though because when he goes to the jail, uh, they like uh, Simon didn't die immediately on the scene and was taken to the hospital but then the police confirmed to him and they're like oh hey your victim died Simon Petliora and that's when he then goes up to the gendarme and hugs him and he said oh I'm so happy I did it I killed a murderer <laughs> he, that's what he said a lot he's like I have killed an assassin <laughs> fair enough <laughs> well he's not wrong yeah and He's then in jail for about a year or a year and a half, and he's kind of depressed, but the police do weirdly, I don't, I'm I'm very anti-cop, but it is hilarious, because they would take him um, newspapers of, like, him being written about in his crime, and be like, look, you're in the paper, people are talking about you, and try to cheer him up, <laughs> which... <laughs> 1920 this happened by the way may 25th 1926 and for reference at this time people assassinating people they held responsible for genocide was actually fairly common because it happened with an armenian fellow and also i believe an armenian woman had shot someone and been successfully defended by uh, one of our key players Henri Torres who I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right but he's a cool French communist Jewish former communist Jewish lawyer cool and yeah and he he had this was very much in his wheelhouse was defending assassins (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah the I can go and talk about the trial because the trial it lasted 12 days but everyone involved was like oh this trial's never going to end and everyone <laughs> hated it Be- and there there were even like at one point Henri Torres is like there were 80 more people I could have called but I decided not to because and it just for like a rhetorical flourish because Henri Torres was just constantly doing the most <laughs> <laughs> so this is like an old timey like uh, OJ trial sort of thing <laughs> like uh uh big celebrity circus imagine like oj but there's like 50 kato kalen and they're all here <laughs> to talk about genocide <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> i want to make this a movie so bad <laughs> we we need like several movies about sholem schwartzbard god i want but who would play him um <laughs> hmm 
like Jason Schwartzman's around the same height. Doesn't quite look like him, but maybe Sophia Coppola, and it could just be the longest and most. He was <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis in my head for a minute. Oh, that would be. <laughs> but he's retired, as we know. Yeah, though the thing is, like, Sholem Schwartzbard was, like, in his 30s, and being in your 30s in the 1920s meant your hair was already gray and you yeah. looked like you were dying. So he could <laughs> have, like, we could have an older actor for this. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so the trial, like, at least according to the books I've read, for the time uh, 1920s French courts, you could just call as many witnesses as you wanted and they could just be have the most remote connection to what was happening and that's kind of how this trial played out because uh the defense tried to prove um the defense Henri Torres who was really like one of the greatest lawyers in France like among there were three really notable ones at the time uh, he just switched the whole trial to being about whether or not Simon Petliura was guilty of the pogroms rather than like he's because basically like his Sholem the entire time just uh, was always saying like yes I did this Simon Petliura was a murderer and they even like God his the uh, the prosecution like even tried to say something being like oh but didn't Simon send the Jews somewhere and and Sholem said he sent the Jews to heaven <laughs> <laughs> and, and just angry if I said I was an assassin you would agree <laughs> <laughs> I have this 1927 press photo and it has like a little bit on the back and it says defendant Sholem Schwartzbard shrieks his guilt and it talks about how ugly he is for some reason which <laughs> I think he's pretty hot I don't know Sh Schwartzbard yeah he's uh, he, you know he's got that bad boy kind of <laughs> he talks about how ugly he himself is no just the press oh, at the okay, time okay. because he was I thought he was shrieking in the courtroom no the, the, the I killed him and I'm an ugly man <laughs> 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 oh man <laughs> but and also the press clipping talks about the, the slavic faces of the courtroom because the the court was to be fair packed with slavic people okay. so you know it's good that they let us know <laughs> <laughs> and yeah the, the thing is people at this time this was probably an oj level case because uh the amount of people who wanted to speak on the behalf of Sholem Schwartzbard was just like there's like this huge list including Albert Einstein <laughs> oh my god that's so cool <laughs> which oh I I, w I wish he'd been a part of <laughs> <laughs> but yeah during the trial um the prosecution tried to kind of claim like, oh, well, Schwartzbar, didn't you have like, you probably had co-conspirators and they brought in witnesses who were friends with Petliora to be like, I saw some Jews hanging around us at lunch, so I think there's a conspiracy. <laughs> 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 One of them looked like Schwartzbar and I'm like, I don't trust them to be able to tell Jewish people apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, the so they tried to do that and weirdly enough they never they both sides declined to to have his wife on the stand even though she would have been the obvious one to dispute this because he said multiple times there's no one else involved <laughs> <laughs> but they just kind of wanted to like both sides were like we're gonna spare her going through this which was just like kind of like some benevolent misogyny Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the past <laughs> what a time <laughs> Oh my god, but uh yeah, and so with the trial though, they brought in historians, like um this was more on Henri Torres' side, but he brought in historians and he brought in victims of the 
pogrom, including one woman, Haya Greenberg, who had lost her arm and been assaulted. She her her story was notable because um, she and her family had a tenant and her family, I believe, was killed in front of her. And she tried to claim, I'm not Jewish. I'm I'm the tenant's daughter. And the tenant just did not care and was like, no, she's lying. And the soldier said to her this one just patchy Ukrainian phrase like a pig and a duck are not the same <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeded to assault her <laughs> and uh, she lost her arm because uh, there was a lot a lot of what we hear about was also really recorded during this trial because it was kind of it's kind of not dissimilar to the Nuremberg trials and just like holding people accountable for crimes against humanity right um, but yeah, the trial in itself lasted about 12 days, and at 5.40 on this one day, they, uh, on the like 12th day, I guess, the jury was sent away to deliberate, and 25 minutes later, they came back, and they, they announced that they had found Sholem not guilty, <laughs> and they acquitted him, but he had to pay one franc uh, and a fine to the <laughs> widow and child who were also in the room. <laughs> Oh, that fucking rules. <laughs> just stonewalls the entire court. Just goes, I did it. And then they make him pay one franc. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but don't do it again. Oh, my God. And people were just laughing and cheering in the courtroom. And they're like, yeah, this is Paris. That's one of the quotes. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, Paris strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Paris, motherfucker. <laughs> That's like what someone yells in, like, Omaha or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, people always talk about Paris as being, you know, it's like, oh, it's a cosmopolitan city. But it's just like this courtroom in particular. It's like, oh, it sounds cool, actually. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it sounds like a pro wrestling event or something. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, so Simon Pelliora got, uh, was just, he was a little bitch who couldn't take a few bullets. Uh, <laughs> but people have held on to his like um ukrainian nationalists have been humping his corpse for the past 90 years essentially (laughs) because they're they're quite bitter and (laughs) they're haters yeah that sounds like they're haters to me (laughs) what a lame thing to even be still like (laughs) how do you how do people even still know about this you know it's weird because it's become more prevalent because you know as like um you know, noted luminary of our time, Chelsea Clinton said, you know, Eastern Europe has taken down 13,000 of their Lenin statue. Let's take down ours. Because the thing is, they're taking down the statues of Lenin, but they're replacing him with pa- uh, statues of bimbos like Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bimbo Simon. Simon Petriola with huge tits. <laughs> I'm going to force spam every nationalist. <laughs> ah, hell yeah. That'll be in the movie. I'm going to make this movie. This is my new life goal is to make an action movie out of uh, Sholem Schwartzbard. <laughs> yeah, but um, so the story doesn't end here and that he then was uh, just free to go, but they w- he wanted to go to Israel and, uh, or Palestine at the time and they wouldn't let him because they're like, well, you're innocent, but you're not that innocent. So we're not going to let you go, but you can go to America and South Africa, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and he died in South Africa at like 54. <laughs> wow. And he was a poet. He did s- continue writing poetry and his name w- in Yiddish was The, the Dreamer. <laughs> 
which he, <laughs> he made his dreams come true. <laughs> I, he really did. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the secret, everyone. Make a vision board, I suppose. God, he, the original vision board, his mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that is an awesome story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, yeah, I had never heard it until you oh told me. Oh, my God. It's, I, I first heard about it because there was a an article that had come out talking about the fact that they put up a statue of Simon Petliora in the Jewish, uh, historically Jewish quarter of Vinitsa, Ukraine. And the thing, the statue itself is weird because it's one of those ones where... has got huge tits. <laughs> 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 He's sitting on a bench and he looks like Walt Disney. But it's like <laughs> Walt Disney if he'd been able to kill all the Jews. Oh, I hate bench statues. You're supposed to sit down next to them and the guy's got your arm around you <laughs> or his arm around you or whatever. It feels Just really weird. Absolutely perverted. Hate yeah. it. He's like uh, a Ronald <laughs> McDonald statue. But they yeah. are still calling like... Show a hot dog in his lap. <laughs> <laughs> At the time when it was first came out, like they called him like a Russian outside agitator and he's like that he's a part of the Red Army, you know, like all of the all of the resistance people back then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, time never changes. And uh but nowadays they're still saying like they call him like a Russian born Jew. And it's like he was from Ukraine. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but no, I he uh sh- anyway, Sholem Schwartzbard, real strong my boyfriend, all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Hell, I want to be my boyfriend. <laughs> Sholem Schwartzbard's Polly now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Welcome to the polycule, Sholem. <laughs> oh, but eventually he died in South Africa, and then Israel t- um, had him exhumed and buried on a mountain. So that happened, too. Okay. <laughs> so the corpse, the story with his corpse also didn't end for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. They uh, McCained him around. <laughs> um uh. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, and there is a notable thing in that Henri Torres then would go on to almost defend Herschel Greenspan, who killed that Nazi officer that was used as a justification for Kristallnacht. And I would recommend looking up Herschel Greenspan. Uh, no, Dreyfus oh. Affair was er- earlier, and but Henri Torres was connected to that in that his grandfather started this... Um, this league, this kind of league against uh, defamation and new Emil Zola. So he's considered the more notable one in the family, uh, even though Henri Torres just d- defended all the assassins. <laughs> and uh, he, though he had to leave France in 1937, but did return and was part of like the, the Gaullist government. I like the idea of an assassin lawyer, you know? <laughs> like there's like commercials where he's like, Have you been injured on the job? A <laughs> uh, d- small gun went off in your ankle pocket. <laughs> Uh, small throwing knife wounds. <laughs> Let me help you. I'll fight for you. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, is there anything else to the story? Should we wrap it up? Oh, we probably can. Like the one noticeable thing with Herschel Greenspan is that Andre Torres did kind of help him too, because at the time they tried to the Nazi officer he killed. Like uh, Herschel was pretty directly inspired by Sholem Schwartzbard and was like, "Yes, I'm an Avenger." But the thing is, his he was just he was exiled from Germany but mostly just to es- escape at the time. And his family was still alive and actually survived the war, surprisingly. But uh, so he did this. 
to avenge the Jewish people. And before he left, though, people had been spreading rumors that he and the Nazi officer were actually gay together, and it was a lover's uh, fight. <laughs> and he was like, he, there's a report of him telling the Lord, he's like, no, I'm not gay. I, I'm a virgin. Please bring me a woman. <laughs> he was 17. <laughs> oh, that rules. And, uh, yeah, but the trial never happened because uh, the thing is, like, so eventually uh, Herschel got it, and why they wanted to do that so like Herschel was transferred to a concentration camp but they never did the trial because then he went around to claiming he's like yeah we were gay as hell <laughs> because it made Goebbels and Hitler very mad they're like okay we can't have this guy saying our man was gay <laughs> oh my god that rules and then he went uh, also there was another show trial so it was just a mess of scheduling and but he went missing in 1943 but then it gets even weirder because his family you know collected benefits and claimed he was dead but the thing is there was recently a photo unearthed from a 1946 protest of Holocaust survivors and there's a man there with a 95% facial match so there's kind of speculation that he might have just like after the war not kind of gone into hiding because he was worried about still being prosecuted hmm. <laughs> cool <laughs> maybe he's still out there <laughs> maybe <laughs> cool we need him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> we need the bat. Um, One last gig. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Someone make this movie. <laughs> so many good lines. Like, the, what was that? A, a pig and a bat are not the same? Um, uh, A pig and a, like, it was like a pig and a duck or a pig and a goose are not the same. <laughs> and it's, uh... Yeah, it's uh, I I can't remember what it's like un ne swine tavarish. Just yelling that across a courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that that wasn't from the trial. Or no, that okay, was that was from the incident. That God, the trial was about. Well, it would be a really notable cinematic moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna take some cinematic uh, directorial liberties <laughs> with this movie. Um, cool. Well, all right. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. Um, where should people follow you or do uh, people not follow you? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, if any, <laughs> you little freaks fall. <laughs> um, I'm at Sweet Comrade on Twitter, which is a reference to a Yiddish song. I, I'm i not going to go into it, but it is. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm constantly online. I never stop posting. <laughs> <laughs> Good content. <laughs> all right. No, it's all bad. It's all, it's all about Phantom Thread being horny. <laughs> Uh, good content. <laughs> I agree. Um, all right. Well, that'll be our episode for the week. Thanks for joining us. Um, we'll be back with a bunch more stuff later in the uh, coming weeks. Thanks, y'all. Das Forum ist schmacht in der Volk. Wir werden der Schossen gehangen. Wir reut uns das Leben, das Recht. Der Fahrer, weil wir Emmes verlangen. Und Freiheit verohren Knecht. Freiheit verohren Knecht. Hated and hunted and driven. Turned out and chased from your doors. Because we have given our love to the weak and the poor We perish by lash and by fire Yo, 